0: If you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 39. Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 39. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Syrian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And they gave him wine, mingled with myrrh to drink. But he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now, now it was a third hour, and they crucified him, and the inscription above his accusation was, was written above, The King of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, Wagging their heads and saying, "Aha! You, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross." Likewise, the chief priests, also mocking them among themselves with the scribes, and said, "He saved others; himself, he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe." Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, sabachthani," which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last breath. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurions who stood opposite him saw that, he cried out like this and breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was a son of God.
1: For Christians, this reading is familiar, we understand its importance, understand the purpose for it, but even then sometimes we truly forget what's involved and what it costs. For us to have the privilege that we had this morning to gather around this table and to partake of these emblems, understanding the importance of what they mean to us. This past Wednesday night, in our Wednesday night series, we looked at the, the subject of Acting like Jesus. And we talked about his love, his humility, his compassion, and his forgiveness, all of which you see in the reading this morning. Peter would remind us in the first letter and in the second chapter, verse 21 and following, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps when you look at the crucifixion, when you look at the celebration of the Passover meal, the institution of the what we call the Lord's Supper, you look at the events that lead up to his crucifixion, reminding yourself. As we do each Lord's Day, to act like Jesus in love. Do we have that type of love? The willingness to do the Father's will, regardless of the cost to have no regrets in doing the Father's will, regardless of the cross. Are we going to be like Jesus in his humility at the Passover meal, his humility in the Garden of Gethsemane, his humility in his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion, regardless of the cost. You think about Jesus, the Son of God, humbling himself to do what he did so that we could partake of these emblems and that we could briefly, prayerfully, each day, each moment, remember what he did for us. To act like Jesus here at the cross, do we have that compassion? The compassion for lost souls. The compassion to strongly desire to do the will of the Father regardless of the cost. Do we act like Jesus in the area of forgiveness? To have that attitude that he expressed earlier In the crucifixion. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Has that concept changed? Those who laugh, those who mock, those who ridicule, be it God, be it the Son of God, be it God's people. Do they know what they do. Father, forgive them. They do not have a clue as to what they're doing. They do not have a clue to what they're saying. You go back to the 14th chapter, verses 32 through 42. Read about his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Read about his compassion, his anguish. Deeply troubled. The petition to the Father. Do we at times... Remember the first part of his prayer there and forget the last part. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. How many times have we asked that part of it? But not the last part. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And again, as you think about that, as you think about, if you will, the difficulty involved, knowing before the foundation of the world what it was gonna cost to redeem man. Knowing from foundation of the world what was gonna be involved The willingness to come. The willingness to live. The willingness to endure. Again, the Gospels are written for us. Read about what he went through as he walked on the face of this earth. Read about how he was treated by those who should have been shouting joys of glory to God above for the fulfillment of his promise to redeem mankind. But they never saw it that way. This is a mindset that we're asked to have. Think what it's like in that garden when Judas one of the 12 comes to betray him. And Judas was not the last one that would betray the master. Either during his life or during his reign in heaven, those that would betray what the master has done and are not counting that cost of what he went through. And at times thinking our cost is tremendous. And when we begin to think that our cost of serving God is tremendous, we need to be reminded that Satan. Satan tells us, Satan tells the world, first of all, Satan tells the world it costs too much to be a Christian. There's too great of a sacrifice in being a Christian. You have to give up too much in being a Christian. Then as a Christian, sometimes those thoughts come back haunting us. It is a great price. There is a great cost in serving God. There's a lot that we must give up. There's a lot that the world does not understand or accept what we do. And we forget. It does not cost us. It costs God. God. We're the beneficiaries of what it costs God in Jesus. We're not giving up. We are receiving. And we are being richly, we are richly receiving the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness of God. That's why we're challenged to act like Jesus in our life. You see the beating and the mocking at the high priest's house that Jesus went through. Again, those that should have rejoiced to see his coming, to those who should have anticipated and desired to be a part of what he was coming for, did not receive him. And thought the best way to deal with him was to just crucify him. But that did not take care of the problem. You read about the denial of Peter, the one who had one time made the statement, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God being reminded that it was not flesh and blood that revealed that to him, but it was God that had revealed that to him. And yet that he would turn around and deny that he ever knew him. It's interesting as you read about his denial. farther away from Christ that he found himself the easier it was to deny his master where did he deny him gathered around the fire with those who wanted to crucify Jesus the enemies he was following as the scripture says. But he was following at a distance. And there's a world of difference between the two. There are those who want to follow, but at a distance. Because in the eyes of the world, you may be just like Jesus. You may, as we're studying on the Sunday morning out of 2 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12, This physical life may not be anything what you thought it might be. But rest assured and be assured that eternal life with God will not be anything like you thought it would be. You cannot comprehend the blessings that God has in store for those that serve him. Read about his scourging, his beating, and his mocking by the Roman soldiers. It's interesting as you read the accounts in the gospel of the crucifixion of Jesus, that not a great deal of information is given as to what he physically spiritually went through upon that cross and they crucified him thief on one hand and the thief on the other hand we have his prayer, his petition the statements that he made from the cross But nothing about what that was like. I've read accounts that medical doctors have written describing what crucifixion was like, describing what the body went through, as described in the scriptures as depicted in Roman history. It was never intended to be a quick means of death. The development of the cross was designed specifically to allow a person to live the longest and suffer the most before they died. The Bible doesn't give us that. It simply reminds us of the events that took place. We read of his cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You can read of the darkness on the whole earth from the ninth to the twelfth hour. 12 hours to, uh, to midday. You have to think about what was involved, were there to be darkness on the face of the earth at the brightest time of day. So interesting as you read the accounts, and of course, those who want to, not want to follow. Try to find contradictions in the statements. If you read each of the accounts of the crucifixion, if you read the sayings on the cross, there are four different sayings that are given. But you have to remember to whom the gospel writers were writing too. Mark says he was, the sign says, this is the King of the Jews. And you remember the sign above him was written in Hebrew for the people of the Jews, written in Greek, the common language of the people of the, at the time around and that came, and written in Latin. Mark says, the King of the Jews. For those of a, that would be reading the Gospel of Mark, Romans, basically, that would be what would impress them. It's not the Caesar, but he's the king. Matthew tells us this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Matthew's writing to those of a Jewish background that this Messiah, Is the King of the Jews. Luke simply says, This is the King of the Jews. And John says, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The full inscription, put them together, the full inscription. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. He is the Savior of the world. As we have partaken, do we really comprehend what we read in the Gospels? Do we catch the depths of the love of God? Do we catch the depth of the humility of Jesus? He calls for Elijah. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. They did not need Elijah to come and save him. Did not need angels from heaven to come and save him. One, he's committed no sins. Did not need to be saved. But he was the sacrifice for sin. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, do we sense that deep compassion? Do we sense it in as we looked briefly Wednesday night, as we were trying to describe who are the monsters of human society? Do we realize Jesus died for them as well? <laughs> Scripture wise, we could look at Saul of Tarsus as being a monster. Read the first few verses of Acts chapter 8, the first few verses of Acts chapter 9. Breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church. Listen to it, threatenings and slaughter against the church. Making havoc of the church. Going into homes and dragging out men and women. When it came time to cast a vote to kill him, he cast his vote to kill them. Made orphans, made widows, made widowers. the grace of God changed his life. Do we see that compassion he had and that forgiveness? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You need to put that with Acts 2 verse 38 and following. When did they receive forgiveness? <laughs> when they repented of their sins and were baptized for the remission of their sins. Forgiveness was granted. But he died that they could have that hope. Is this something... That we can do sporadically when we do our own thing and say, well, we just take some crackers with us, we take some grape juice with us, and we just have the Lord's Supper by ourselves. Do we remember what the Lord went through in order for that to even be considered? Do we also remember that he died for his church, the body of Christ? That we need to be with the body of Christ as we partake of it. But it's up to us as we live our lives. It's up to us to decide whether we will do indeed what he's asked us to do. The power is in the blood. The power to totally transform a life for one to become a new creation. The power to wash away sins and have them remembered no more by the Lord. The power to take the vilest of all the earth and make them a servant of the Lord God above. The power to give us hope through our surrendering to his will. But where are you in light of all of this? Is your life where it ought to be? It may be that you need to become a child of God. It may be that you need to renew that life in Christ Jesus again. If you need to be washed in the power of the blood, if we could assist you, we could help you. Indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sin.